Hey there. Welcome to the Victory Cigar Podcast. My name is Connor and I am the host of this show. You are listening to episode number nine. You can expect a variety of discussions about sports here. The MLB, NFL, NBA, NHL, and NASCAR racing will be the focus of the show, but I will talk about just about anything that grabs my attention in the world of sports. All right, so we've got a little bit of a busy show here. I'm going to try to keep it as around the same normal length. But, um, yeah, we're going to talk about the MLB playoffs, how that shook out into the World Series now. Game one was just last night. We'll definitely get to that. Um, NFL, uh, week six and seven recaps there. I have my predictions. I have my predictions from uh, week seven, even though we didn't do a show last week. Um, I, I had written them down in preparation. Uh, so we'll be able to go over my rights and wrongs from six and seven, plus get those picks down for tomorrow, uh, which will be Sunday, October 29th, as today is the 28th. Uh, NBA and NHL, those seasons got started. The NHL's actually been going here for a couple of weeks, but the NBA just got going as well. So we'll kind of dive a little bit into that, see how people are doing early on, kind of give my thoughts and opinions perhaps on uh, what I think uh, those seasons might look like. Uh, and of course, uh, our NASCAR coverage, our playoff coverage round of eight, uh, Las Vegas and Miami races. We'll talk a little bit about that and going into Martinsville, uh, the second to last race before the championship at Phoenix next week. So yeah, let's get right into it with the MLB. Um, yeah. Wow. Uh, so the Arizona Diamondbacks uh, run the gauntlet in the NL and, uh, you know, knock off the Brewers then in the wildcard round. Then they knock off the Dodgers in the NLDS. And then they knock off Philadelphia 4-3, seven-game series in the NLCS and uh, to advance to the World Series. And, of course, the Texas Rangers, exact same path, knock off the Tampa Bay Rays in the wild card, the Orioles in the DS, and win in seven games in the ALCS. Uh, 2-0 for the Rangers and uh, Diamondbacks in uh, the wild card rounds. 3-0 sweep in the NLDS for both of them, or in the DS, I should say, for both of them. And 4-3, seven-game series, both winning game seven on the road to advance to the World Series. Uh, both of these teams, two unlikely, as the media has called them, uh, World Series favorites or World Series matchup. Uh, of course, if you remember listening to this show, though, I told you, I said, you know, the Rangers, if it's going to the, their run-ins, it's going to be the bullpen. And, you know, I kind of fully was just preparing myself as a, as a secondary Ranger fan, primary Yankee fan, secondary Ranger fan, was kind of preparing myself for them to to lose to the Orioles. I thought, yeah, Baltimore is just really strong. They won a lot of games. But if you remember, I did say to watch out because the Rangers, if they got the run going, they could do it. And here they are. They're leading game. Uh, they're leading the World Series one game to zero right now. They made it. They did it. Uh, you know, they, they beat the almighty Goliath Houston in uh, the ALCS. That looked really bleak for a minute there. I'll talk more about that. Uh, in a moment, but uh, Texas and Arizona in the World Series, uh, one game to nothing, Texas leading right now. They just had game one last night. Uh, game two is tonight at uh, 8 Eastern time. And 
yeah, I mean, it, you know, shaping up, a, if it's anything like last night's game, this could be a good series. So, um, you know, definitely going to be paying attention to that. Uh, could be going to more games, depending on how long that that uh, series continues. Uh, <clears throat> the cool. So let's talk about, let, let's go back to the Houston series. Um, because I think that that entire series took place and we didn't record a single episode during that series. So, uh, Texas goes up 2-0. They beat the the Astros in both games on the road in Houston. Hostile environment. They beat Verlander uh, in game one, and uh, they they you know they close uh, they close out uh, the road trip getting getting the two wins. They come back home you know feeling pretty good. Like uh, I went to two of the games, uh, game four and five, but they they come back home you know feeling pretty good. They drop game three. I mean, they, 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 I'm not sure I can remember the final score of game three, but they drop game three. Um, they drop game four. They get routed. I was there for that. They, they get routed in that one, blown out. Game five is looking pretty good. Four, two. They've, they're, they're up on Verlander going into the ninth inning. And once again, something that was driving me absolutely insane watching all of those games was walking Martin Maldonado. It drove me nuts. They probably walked him four, at least four times in that series. And it was always at very inopportune times. And it led to runs scored for for Maldonado several times. The guy is awful. He, He is a bad hitter i mean just bad and it just drove me insane now listen i you know i pitched all the way through high school so i'm speaking uh from the couch as a as a washed up uh mid-20s uh guy that 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 peaked out with uh high school baseball maybe could have played a little d3 college ball somewhere or something right so i i i ain't a professional but you know I, i i did have some experience you know, and I know it's a lot harder at the at the, the level that they're at exponentially. I can't even imagine, right? But it drove me insane having the mindset of a pitcher, even if my talent, you know, my skills capped out at some point. Uh, it drove me insane with the mindset where, you know, I, I was sitting there watching. They walked him. So, the, of course, I'm talking about game five here. We'll get to that. It's... As I recall, um, eight nine one are the are the hitters in uh, in game five was what that was coming down to. Maybe it was nine one two. Not a hundred percent sure what that was what that entailed. But what I do know was that uh, Maldonado. Actually, now I'm not so sure. Did he pinch hit him there? They walked him several times. They walked him several times on other occasions. Did they? I know they they walked somebody. I just can't remember if it was the eight hitter or the nine hitter. It doesn't really matter. It, the point still stands the same. When you're down there at the bottom of the lineup with guys whose batting averages they're not even hitting their weight, right? Uh, it it just drove me insane, and it was a theme throughout the series, right? It just drove me insane to walk guys who aren't hitting their weight. It, it, as as a like I said, being a, a having a history as a pitcher and in a pitcher's mentality, my thoughts there 
were would have been and 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 were back in my you know fix a high school days were that the guys at the bottom of the lineup were not as good as the guys at the top of the lineup, and you could afford to be far more aggressive with those guys. And of course, that's the way it is in Major League Baseball too. I mean, anybody can beat you at any time. You know, Bucky Dent. Uh, Ozzie Smith hit a walk-off homer in the World Series uh, back in the 80s one time, right? And he's got, God, you know, Ozzie Smith's career home runs, he's probably got less than Judge did had last year, you know, in in a season uh, for his entire career. He played for 20 years. Anyway, uh, you know, it just, you, you just can't make mistakes like that. You have to attack bad hitters. You have to go right at them and not be afraid of them. And um, if they, if if Martin Maldonado or whoever at the bottom of that Astros lineup, if they crack a home run off of you for a solo shot there and 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 pull the game to within one four three at that point, you know it was four two. So if they do that, you just got to go, damn, right? Because how often are they going to do that? Baseball is a game of 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 chance in statistics if that makes sense right so you know there's an old saying in baseball right that that you see a guy coming up to the plate and the tv flashes he's oh for his last 12 so as a baseball fan you're thinking he's due this is where he gets the hit right or you know so and so hasn't hit let's say it's Aaron Judge right big fearsome power hitter and everything Aaron Judge and it says that Aaron Judge hasn't hit a home run in uh, 10 games and he comes up to the plate in a spot, right? And you're thinking in your head, it's coming. It's just it's it's a statistical inevitability. It's coming. Because that that's as we've gotten into this analytical era over the last 10 years in particular with baseball, all of these sort of gut feelings we always had with the game of baseball going back all, you know, the to the 10s and 20s and 30s and 40s, these gut feelings that people would have, he's due. He's due. You know, it's coming. It's they're actually therein lies statistics, you know, all the way back. It just we always, you know, we couldn't explain it. But we've got all these numbers now that that uh, sort of put a paint a, the picture a little bit. And it's because that there's truth to that. There's truth to statistical inevitability, right? Aaron Judge is simply not going to bat 50 times. In in you know the major leagues in major league at bats without hitting a home run, it's not going to happen. It's even if the guy is in the worst slump of his life, he's going to barrel one and get it over the wall. He's just big and strong, and that's what he does. You could apply that to anybody: Pete Alonso, uh, you know, with the Mets, Otani, uh, Trout, you know, any of these uh, Bryce Harper, these guys, all of those guys with the kind of power they have are are pretty much never going to go 50 at-bats without hitting a home run. You know, and 50 is a large sample size. I could even, you know, extrapolate that further. I could say that Aaron Judge is probably never going to go 25 at-bats without hitting a home run. You know, or at least it's the likelihood is very low. There is a very high probability as that as those at-bat counters tick on 25 at-bats, 28 at-bats. It's coming. It's it's coming. It's going to happen. And so I apply that in the reverse to, to pitchers or hitters who stink. There's no other way to put it. You know, I know I'm the guy sitting on the couch and they're the ones playing professional baseball. But in 
you know, a comparison to their peers, right? Which, of course, we could use OPS plus four or something. Martin Maldonado and, uh, for example, like Evan Longoria this postseason, uh, since he, he's on the D-backs, he's batting in the eight hole, or he was last night. But But these guys that are at the bottom of the lineup are, you know, you have more leeway to attack these guys. And statistically speaking, in the reverse, how often are they going to beat you? They're going to beat you a lot less than guys at the top of the lineup for Houston, we'll say, Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman, uh, Jordan Alvarez, Michael Brantley. Kyle Tucker had a really rough postseason, but you know that's another guy that you got to be careful with. Or with the Rangers, you know, how often is Marcus Simeon going to beat you and Corey Seager going to beat you and Adolis Garcia going to beat you versus, you know, how often Leody Tavares is going to beat you for Texas? Um, so it it's it just blows my mind and was frustrating to no end to watch them walk. You know, Maldonado drew so many walks, it was like, just throw fastballs down the middle. This guy can't hit water if he fell out of a freaking boat. And and obviously that's an exaggeration, but I'm sitting there. And same thing, it was John Singleton. That's what it was. It was John Singleton uh, walked, and uh, he pinch hit for somebody. He gave it, That's what it was in game five. He gave up a leadoff hit to the eight-hole guy, which is like, ew. <laughs> you know, sorry to sound like a, a 27-year-old white girl. That's you uh, to give up a, to a leadoff hit to the eight hole. Then he walks retired, porky, useless John Singleton, 150 hitter on the season, platoon master, gets an appearance every three weeks in an MLB game, okay, was retired for several years leading up to the season, okay. You walk that guy to set up Jose Altuve with the tie as the tying run at the plate, or no, the go ahead run. Sorry, the go ahead run. You walk useless, waste of space, John Singleton. And I'm sorry, John Singleton, if you ever hear this. Obviously, not a personal dig. You might be a very nice person, and a, and a great guy, and fun to hang out with. And you made it way further than I could have ever dreamed of doing myself. You made it to the major leagues. You made it to the bigs. You're a professional athlete. Congratulations. But in a comparison to your peers, and maybe the porky thing was a little out of line, in comparison to your peers, you are not good. I'm sorry. And it blows my mind that a pitcher, I think it was Jose Leclerc pitching as well, Right, so Leclerc, he's got light up the radar gun stuff. 97, 98, 99. I would have pumped Singleton fastball, fastball, slider. You know, some kind of breaking action on the third pitch. Right? That I just don't understand how you're so afraid of this guy. And, you know, unwilling to make a pitch with with him up there. And 
fastball, fastball, breaking ball, fastball. That gets him. There's no way that he's not out after the, that sequence of four pitches. There's just no way. As long as you're pumping them in the zone. Like, make John Singleton be the one to beat you, not Jose Altuve. You know, make him tie the game, not let oh, Altuve have a chance to hit the go-ahead. And of course, and it, what was really screwed up was I thought this as I, as I, um, uh, as that inning was coming up, top of the ninth. I thought this as I saw eight nine one. I thought, do not, do not walk one of those next two guys. Do not let one of those two guys on base. Let Altuve come up there and hit a solo shot if he's going to beat you with a home run or, or you know if he's going to win that matchup. Do not give him the opportunity to tie or go ahead because he's going to do it. I just had that feeling, right? Altuve was 0 for 4 that day. What do we say about statistical inevitabilities? He was due, and he's hit very, very well in Globe Life Field this season and in the postseason. And he was 0 for 4. And I saw that when they showed the, you know, the score bug as they were coming off the field and, and uh, to go to commercial for the top of the ninth. I went, he's 0 for 4. Do not let any of these guys get on base. He's going to, he is going to do something. Just knew it, right? And, of course, two men on, nobody out. And I thought, he's, he's, he is going to, he's going to kill him right here. He's going to do it. Bang. Hung change up. Or splitter, I think. Misses the spot completely. Altuve pounces on it. Gets it just, I mean, inches over Evan Carter's glove as he leaped at the wall. But it's enough. It counts. A home run. They go down 5-4. They can't get it done in the bottom of the ninth. They go down in the series 3-2. And I really thought I was like, that's it. That was a backbreaker. They, that's it. They're going back home. I know the narrative. Houston hasn't played good at home all, you know, all season. I know, but it's one game that they need. And I actually had a prediction that scared the hell out of me after that game happened. I'm going, I'm taking my, uh, my dad and his friend that's visiting. Cause we're all watching the game, um, uh, you know, on, on that day. And so we're talking about it. I don't know when that was, we were going somewhere, the next day or something. I don't know. We're talking about it. And I said, I said, I know what's going to happen. You know, just very dejectedly. I was like, Texas is going to win game six. They're going to do it. They're going to blow them out like nine to two. And they're going to go to game seven. And then Houston's going to blow them out. Houston's going to all of a sudden find the offense out of nowhere. Magic voodoo devil BS that they always have because that was another thing that was driving me insane. I was beating my head against the wall. The amount of weak hits that Houston would get that would then immediately lead to something much bigger, right? Just, just these, these little dribblers down the line, seeing eyes, singles bloops over the second baseman, you know, all this crap basically, which is baseball. But gosh, as a professional Houston Astros hater and as a Yankee fan and dealing with them in three ALCSs, of course, last year barely counts because we were just, good Lord, we were pathetic, the Yankees were. Uh, but ever since, you know, just watching them on that stage and it just, it's disgusting how often that that 
that they have this devil voodoo magic. And then on the flip side of that, the Rangers are scorching in different, especially in that three-game stretch at home that they lost all three. I mean, Seager, Simeon, whoever, Rangers are scorching the baseball off the bat right at the first baseman, right at the third baseman, right at the second baseman, right at the shortstop, in the gap, and Michael Brantley is 38 years old and sprinting down and making the best defensive play of his career. You know, all of these things are happening, and it's like you're sitting there watching it going, they have a deal with the devil. They really do. This evil little team has a deal with the devil. As as these scorchers leave the Texas bats and, you know, Houston dribbles one down the third baseline. They poke one through a hole between the shortstop and the second baseman. They bounce one over the pitcher. They bloop one into center field, whatever it is, right? And they're just doing this. And it just, uh, but I said that about the narrative. I was like, you know, all this that they, oh, they're not good at home, et cetera. I was like, they're going to break, they're going to take that voodoo devil magic and they're going to break that. They're going to break open game seven and blow them out and and just kill them. And we're going to have to hear Houston yap, 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 speaking Japanese all freaking off season. And it's, it's just going to be insufferable because I'm here in Texas, right? So I'm just going to, I'm going to hear it all off season. I just thought that. And I what was funny, though, was that 9-2, to two, I ain't BSing because that was the final score of Game 6. That is what I said. That was the score that I said. I said Texas would win Game 6 9-2. I should have tweeted that out so I could have got featured on uh, that at They Already Knew on, uh, on Twitter. Uh, but what was funny was that after Game 6, after they won, families all sitting around watching. We're all, we were all watching together and we're all uh, with, with a family friend that was visiting us and stuff, too. And I said, I don't mean to be a downer here, but who remembers what I said about what would happen in game six and seven? It's funny, my, our family friend, it was he was sitting over on a chair to my, to my right, and his face lights up like this shocked expression. He was like, oh my God, you said they were going to win nine to two. <laughs> I said, yep. Right, so I said, just just get ready for what's coming tomorrow. But then the the reverse happened. The Rangers blew them out, embarrassed them in their own building, sent those fans home that paid eight hundred dollars for tickets for Game Seven, sent them home, and the cope and seethe session that was going on on Astros Twitter was incredible. I mean, they were so butt hurt. Uh, I, I it's Eric Cartman out there licking up those tears. Let me get let me get them tears right off your cheeks for you, boss. That was beautiful. Humbled the hell out of them. Anyway, you know, Texas, they, they won that series. I was in disbelief that they that they really pulled it off. You know, Houston was was setting up for, for more of their voodoo magic. And you can look that up. I'm not bullshitting, right? You can look up that uh uh, I think Baseball Savant has, you can go exit velos. You can probably look game by game, if I'm not mistaken, any game you want. And it was disgusting that there was, I, I think it was game three or four. I think it was game three. No, it was game four. I think it was game four. There was a really disgusting, it was like showing the top 10 exit velos in the game by both teams. It was like the Rangers had like seven of them and like all of them were outs. All of them were outs. It was, I, I remember a Seeger, there was two men on and two out, and Seeger smokes one at like 
if I remember right, the exit velo was 108 miles an hour. And it's just right at Abreu playing at first base, and he snags it. You know, that, that ball was roping into the corner. Would have been a two-run double. Would have been a huge momentum swing for Texas in that game four. And it smoked. And it's caught. Perfect, perfect. MLB the show. Caught. And uh, then I think it was the next inning, still within striking distance in that game four before they, the uh, Houston really blew it open. Still within striking distance. Uh, I think uh, Adolis Garcia had one or two men on base. With two outs, and he smokes one that was 110 off the bat into the right center field corner heading towards the uh, the Rangers bullpen, and it's tracked down by the, you know, the skin of center fielder's teeth, McCormick, I guess, uh, gets to it and makes a snag on it, and I'm just sitting there like, yep. Yep, yep, yep. And then the inning that uh, they blew that opening game for, as I recall, too, where Abreu hit a hit a three run shot to make it, I don't know what it was, seven to three at that time, or seven to two, I think seven three. Um, the that inning was set up by an infield single that was that was a weak. I think it was set up by two bloops, and then a walk got the bases loaded. And then I think there might have been a sack fly or something. You get my drift. It was set up by a, a couple of weak hit, an infield hit, and then a weak bloop into center. I think. Um. Anyway, the for the Houston uh, and Texas series, it was just you can you can look that up. You don't believe me, but they, there was voodoo going on, voodoo, devil magic, uh, from from Houston, and they still lost. Uh beautiful, glorious. Uh, I think every baseball fan in America you know, was, was rooting for that. Um, so that takes us to, uh, the NL side of things. I I'll be honest. I really didn't watch that much of the NLCS. Um, I was obviously very engaged with what was going on with the Rangers. I was at a lot of those games. I really didn't see a lot of the NLCS. Uh, I know that Philly went up 2-0 in that series. Um, let's see. I know that Philly went up 2-0 in that series going to check it right now thank you to philly for knocking off atlanta by the way you know atlanta fans have been really insufferable the last however many years and uh since they've they've found some success again uh but they go up 2-0 uh arizona fights back keeps keeps philly down goes goes uh beats them 2-1 and 6-5 a couple of nail biters to tie the series back up very close uh, and then Philly blows him out in game five, takes a 3-2 lead, heading back to Philadelphia. So exact same scenario as the ALCS. Um, and they've got two games at home to seal the deal. They lose 5-1 to one and 4-2. to two. Offense just flat died uh, in game six and seven. They could not do anything. Um, and, uh, you know, from the beginning it looked like, wow, okay, Philly's probably going to blow Arizona out. Arizona's going to show that they don't belong here. And uh, Philadelphia, there's really no other way to put it. Philly really kind of choked that series. I mean, they to, to win 5-3, 10-0, 2-0 lead, but then to lose those close games like that, 2-1, 6-5, you know, that offense, you're telling me that offense couldn't get more than than one run across the plate in game three? 
you know, they put the chokehold on them if they go out there and win in game three, but they, they don't. And, uh, then they've got an opportunity to go home and win after they've, you know, they've, they've won three games, uh, you know, out of five played and they couldn't get it done. I mean, that's really, Philly's got no one to blame but themselves on that one. And, uh, you know, Texas, uh, Texas, uh, wins six, five last night. So I was there game one, not going to game two tonight. Tickets sold because they went for a lot of money. Uh, but of course wanted to go to a world series game, went to game one. Um, and what a, what a game that was. I mean, everybody throwing around instant classic is right. I mean, uh, Texas goes up early in the first two Oh, in the first, then, uh, Arizona storms back in the third. And honestly, so the pitchers, it was Gallon versus Evaldi. Uh, Gallon, of course, for Arizona, Evaldi for Texas. Weirdly enough, Evaldi gave up more runs than Gallon did, and they both went five innings. I mean, I think Evaldi came out after four and two-thirds, and I think Gallon made it the full five, but, you know, same difference, essentially. Uh, I actually thought Evaldi pitched better, and I'm not saying that from a, from a spot of bias. It's that Gallon got, I you know, you can't say luck because, or I mean, you can and can't say luck sometimes because it obviously it takes skill to pitch out of situations and everything. But Evaldi gave up those three in that inning by giving up a dribbler that went over his head where Arizona's speed beat them, but infield single. Then he got the ground ball he needed for a double play, but Marcus Simeon was cheating way too hard over to the second base bag and it found a hole. Right, that that he basically pitched two weak ground balls in a row that led to base runners, uh, and then Corbin Carroll goes down 0-2 in the count, cutter, then fastball. Right, and I'm sitting there thinking again, thinking in the pitcher mindset, where I'm the the washed bum that's sitting at home. But after he threw that cutter, I could tell what the the setup of the the at bat was going to be. It's like, okay, he opened the at-bat with a cutter, got a strike. He's throwing a fastball here. What does he do? Fastball. Thought, okay. 0-2 now. So I thought, Evaldi's put away pitch is a splitter. And he was, he had really good break on his pitches last night. It looked like he had his stuff. And I thought, he's going to throw a splitter here, I think. But he shouldn't. I thought in my mind, I was like, I think Corbin, what I thought was, if I know what's coming does the professional hitter who spent all that time on the iPad and with the with the coaches and scouts, does he know what's coming? Corbin Carroll did know what was coming. Splitter that he waited back on and drilled into the left center field gap for a triple, two-run triple. And I thought in my mind, I was like, they got too, they were too predictable in that bat. And Corbin Carroll's too good of a hitter to do that too. They got too predictable in that at bat. I knew what was coming and clearly Corbin Carroll did too. And, you know, if it was me in that spot, again, I'm I'm the bum on the couch, but if it was me, fastball. I'm throwing him a high fastball on that next pitch because he's thinking splitter. Sometimes, like you, as a pitcher, you got to trust your stuff sometimes and you got to think, you know what? Even if he knows this slider's coming, even if he knows this curveball's coming, even if he knows this fastball's coming, I got to throw it. Make him hit it, right? But sometimes you trick yourself as a pitcher with that, too. Sometimes you're getting, that's basically the way that I would call that is getting a little too cute. Being a little too cocky. 
in 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 that pitch, being a little too cocky in his splitter right there. And of course, it was Jonah Heim that called that pitch. So that's Heim, you know, being a little too cocky in in about that splitter right there. I think you keep it simple and you go back to the fastball, high fastball. You get him with him because he was thinking splitter. He sees that fastball. He reacts to it too late. And but he doesn't, and he drills a triple. Uh, so that was a hard hit. That was a mistake pitch. Drills triple. I, actually, really, the location of the splitter was pretty good. It's just that Carroll was straight up sitting on it. You can go back and watch that replay. He is sitting on that pitch. That was the pitch he knew was coming. And he knew where it was going to be, and he didn't miss it. And um, the next batter drills a ground ball at Nate Lowe at first base, who fires home to try to get Carroll. Carroll beats the throw or, you know, beats the tag. I mean, it was close, very close, uh, but he beat it. Uh, so that's three runs right there. Three runs, and he uh, he gave up three ground balls and one hard-hit shot. But that's what happens. Uh, so he gave up three runs just like that um, through, again, really only giving up good contact on one one pitch. And that that you know that's pretty brutal. Then the next inning, I believe he gives up a home run to Tommy Pham. Uh, that was another. That was a mistake pitch. He just flat out missed his location. Uh, I think that was a, spl- a, sp- a splitter that hung. Another one. Uh, and then the next inning, I think, was a Marte double with, with a man on second. It was somebody who had uh, gotten on and stole. I think. I think it was Marte. Um. He, uh, he, somebody stole and then a double knocked a guy in. So there's your five runs right there that, that Arizona got. They take a Valdi out. He gives up all five. They take a Valdi out. It was first and third. Reliever comes in. It was Dane Dunning. He pitched out of the situation. Did, didn't give up any runs. Uh, Texas had tacked on another run in the third inning. After Arizona scored three in the top half, the Rangers scored one in the bottom half to take a to, to tie it up, but then lost the lead, of course, in the subsequent innings. They're down 5-3. They're down 5-3 going into the bottom of the fifth. I thought they could do this. You know, Arizona's bullpen is good, uh, but they, they can do this. It's two runs. And I, I texted that to a buddy of mine. He was like, I don't know. that This bullpen's really good. And I was like, yeah, but all, you know, I, I didn't say this back to him, but in my head, my thought process was, all it ever takes when you're down two runs in the major leagues is a bloop and a blast. All it takes, bloop and a blast, and I don't care who's pitching. You know, maybe maybe with the exception of Mariano Rivera, I really don't care who's pitching. A bloop and a blast is all it ever takes when you're down two runs. And so, and anybody can do it, right? Like we Like we were talking about. So anyway, uh, they move on. Uh, pitchers are nails. Rangers pitchers don't give up anything. They pretty much shut down Arizona the rest of the game. I'm, I'm not sure that Arizona really had that many base runners after that. Um, after that first five innings, and uh, the Rangers kept threatening. I think at the bottom of the fifth they got two men on, didn't get anything. Bottom of the sixth, two men on, didn't get anything. Uh, either in, I think in the eighth they got two men on, didn't get anything. Uh, they also loaded the bases early, like in the second or third inning, and couldn't couldn't cash in. Maybe it was the f- bottom of the first, to be honest. 
Um, they had, I know that they had like 10 left on base by the eighth inning. And it was like, ah, oh, you just can't do that. They were getting guys to base. They were walking a lot. They walked a lot. The Rangers did last night. A lot of walks. A lot of very good locked-in hitters. Being patient. They just couldn't get the hit when they needed it. You know, two men on, whether it was first and second, second and third, or the bases loaded, they just couldn't get that, you know, smoker down the line for a double to knock in two or, or drop one into center field and get that guy home from second, whatever, right? They just couldn't seem to, they couldn't get the hits when they needed them with the runners uh, on base. And they didn't get it in the eighth. They had two men on, they had an opportunity. They couldn't get anything home. They're still down two runs. My dad says to me, sitting next to me, he goes, that's it. They're just, they can't, they're, that, that's it. And I said, the top of the order is coming up in the ninth. So again, we're back to that statistical um, inevitabilities. That's my, that's my trademarked phrase for our baseball discussions. Statistical inevitabilities. Leody Tavares was 0 for 3 with a walk, I think. Marcus Simeon was 0 for 4. And Seeger was 0 for 2 with two walks, I guess. Yeah, 0 for, 2, 0 for 2 with two walks. And he put the bat on the ball. He did not look bad at any point tonight. They're going into the ninth. Tavares works a walk. It's Paul Seawald. He works a walk. Uh, the worst the count ever got was he got one strike in that count. Walked on uh, five pitches. And so he reaches first, and I'm sitting there thinking, okay, Simeon's been cold this postseason. Maybe here's where he breaks out. He doesn't. He strikes out. That was that was tough. He strikes out. But here comes Corey Seager. They paid him $320 million two years ago for moments like this. This is what they were, you know, and, and for seasons like the ones that he's had. He steps up to the plate. Takes a first pitch, high and tight, seawalled fastball, deep over the right field wall. The stadium exploded. Exploded. What did I say? Bloop and a blast. Wasn't a bloop, but it was a walk. Exploded. Right? I I don't think I've ever heard anywhere louder than that. Totally exploded. The energy was off the charts. And I thought in my head when he hit that, I was like, no matter what happens in the rest of this bottom of the ninth, the Rangers are winning this game. The momentum is completely on their side. They haven't used that many relievers at this point. And they've, you know, they've got the bullpen to work with. They haven't used very many relievers. And their their full momentum, they are going to walk this off at some point. It's going to be them. Um Garcia comes up and gets beaned. Him getting hit again. I don't think that one was on purpose. But he gets beaned. Um and uh, in the ninth. But uh, they get him to second because I believe Mitch Garver works a nails walk. I think a 10-pitch walk, if I'm not mistaken. Fouled off three or four pitches. I mean, he, he that was nails. Um, And so the winning run is decent speed. Garcia on second. They just need a base hit. But what's the problem? Oh, no, it wasn't. Garver didn't walk right there. That was earlier. That was The Nails walk was earlier. I'm sorry. That was in, like, the third when the bases were loaded and they walked in a run. Um, the, the, they intentionally walk Garver 
after Garcia swipes second base. That's what happened. Garcia stole one was funny. First pitch of the at-bat, I was thinking, after Art Garcia got hit, and I was like, he's going to steal right here. That was my thought. I was like, they're, they're sending him. They're taking this risk, right? Because you got one out. I guess two outs at that point, right? No, they got they had one out. Yeah, they had one out. So it was like, okay, they're they're going to steal right here. I guess they did have two outs. How the heck did they have two outs? Tavares walks. Semyon strikes out. Steger bombs. Oh, Evan Carter strikes out. That's what it was. Evan Carter strikes out, I believe. Uh, I forgot that Carter batted uh, third, not not Garcia. Um, so there is two outs. But Garcia, I'm like, Garcia's going to swipe this bag. Right? He did. They intentionally walked Mitch Garver after that. Because Austin Hedges is on deck. Because they had subbed out Jonah Heim in the bottom of the eighth. They'd, they'd subbed him out after he drew a walk uh, for Josh Smith in favor of the speed. And they unfortunately had to put Austin Hedges in, who is a Martin Maldonado, John Singleton level, Mario Mendoza type hitter. Uh, he swung at three straight stinky. I almost used a naughty word there. I already used one in this broadcast. I'm sorry. Stinky. Just three straight sweepers low and away. Just whiff, whiff, whiff. He just fanned the crowd on a cool night in Arlington. Uh, pathetic. You know, it was awful. And, and it was like I was holding my breath like, oh, no, right? Like, But at the same time, it was like if there was anything that, that you know, maybe maybe he comes up very unexpectedly. He, he didn't. Uh, the guy hasn't probably seen a live at bat in like two months. But... Uh, they go down, they hold them in the top of the 10th. The Rangers don't get anything in the bottom of the 10th. They hold them in the top of the 11th. And then in the bottom of the 11th, they've got, uh, they've got the meat of the order coming up, uh, again, I believe it's leading off with Carter. Cause I think in the bottom of the 10th, if I'm not mistaken, they had two men on and Seeger had a chance to walk it off. Uh, they had a man on second and I, when he came up, I was like, is he going to do this? Is he going to completely, is this the Corey Seager game where he just puts him on his back right here? And he he smoked one at the second baseman, so uh, unfortunately not didn't get the base hit there. But Carter Garcia come up. Carter um, strikes out, I think, again, or pops out or something. I think he might have popped out. Uh, Carter had a great game, though. Don't, don't get me uh, wrong there. He had two doubles early and a walk, I think. Uh, so Carter had a great game. Uh Garcia comes up, but Garcia's coming up. The stadium's been going nuts for Garcia all night, right? Because of his heroics in the in the ALCS. They they he is the one of the maybe the he might get the most cheers out of anybody right now. Let's put it that way. Uh he comes up, and I just had this little thought in the back of my mind. I was like, does he got another one in him? That was that was what I thought. I was like, does he got another? I thought that in the ninth, too, and he got hit. So I was like, does he got another one in him here? You know, does he have more heroics in him? Because I've I've been saying this for years, actually. And anybody that knows me, you know, this is not a Johnny Johnny uh, come lately take at all. Uh, I've been saying this for years that weirdly, this is back when the Rangers were awful, you know, and winning 60, 70 games in a year and all that. But weirdly, I've always said that dude, Garcia, is pretty average, as a player, you know, he's got a probably above average power, you would say. Sure. Good power. But as, you know, contact wise and everything, he's he's kind of an average hitter 
in that regard. There's certainly many three strikeout games, golden sombreros, you know, in, in his career and all that. I feel like he kind of gets unlocked at the plate um, during the regular season. It can be difficult to keep him locked in sometimes, but that's the thing. When that guy comes up, and I've been saying it for several years, when that guy comes up and the winning runs on second base or the bases are loaded, you know, it doesn't matter if it's bottom of the ninth or bottom of the fifth, but bases are loaded or second and third or whatever it is, right? Or bottom of the ninth and you got the winning run on base, whatever it is. He comes up more often than it not, it seems. He's got that clutch gene. He was a 243 hitter this season, but he is just about a pitcher's worst nightmare to see right now when when the game is hanging in the balance. And because he is walking into that box with confidence and he is locked in. And I, I've been saying that for years. Again, not a Johnny come lately, you know, uh, take or anything at all. There's so many times he, he would come up in uh, the bottom of the ninth or extra innings or whatever uh, in the regular season, and it's he locks in. And he came in there and uh, against a new pitcher, Castro, comes in from the bullpen uh, instead of this uh, Kyle guy, uh, Kyle something, lefty. Uh, they bring in Castro righty to face him. And I just thought I was like, does he got one more in him? Does he got it? And he comes in and he works it to a 3-1 count. Very favorable hitter's count. He gets a sinker low and over the plate. And when he hit it off the bat, because it was a weird one, it was opposite field, right? Off the bat, I thought, and this is Garcia, this is an Aaron Judge, right? Garcia's very strong, right? But, you know, a guy like Judge or something that hits one opposite field like that, I probably would have gone, oh, that's gone, right off the bat, right? But he hits it and it jumps off the bat. You know, you can tell if you've watched enough baseball, especially like in-person baseball is what I mean, or played it enough. If you've watched or played enough in person, you know when something's gone off the bat. You know, you know, immediately. You don't even have to see the trajectory. You just, the sound it makes and the way it jumps. And when he hit that, the first instant split second thought in my head was, was, oh, he crushed that, but is it going to hook too far to the right here as it's hooking towards me? I'm in right field uh, just on the other side of the foul pole. And I'm thinking, is it going to hook too far to the right and like hit the wall or get down in the corner or something? Because the ball was hooking pretty hard. Again, like I said, it had great life off the bat. I could tell. But I was like, ah, this it might hook too far. It might hook too far. And then... You're seeing I'm gl- a quick glance down at the right fielder in the body language. And he's playing, he's reaching for the wall, like he's playing back to the wall. And I'm like, it's gone. The ball's going out. It lands in the seats and the stadium just completely explodes. Nobody had left their seat. Nobody had left. The place was still completely and totally packed. And what was amazing was that people were still in their seats a couple of minutes after the home run because they were cheering him and and he came back on on the field and everything, the celebration. But the, you know, the stadium just completely exploded. So, Hey, you know, I can put that down on my, on my list of things that I have seen to check off the bucket list, a walk off home run in the world series. Um, 
And um, so that was very cool. I mean, that place just totally exploded uh, when he hit that. I can't can't emphasize that enough. It was loud in there, and uh, the energy was was insane. And that's a huge momentum game to win right there, especially because the Rangers have struggled at home in the postseason. They 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 were one and three in the postseason at home going into that game. They're now two and three, but that's huge. It's huge confidence. Uh, we'll see how they respond tonight. You know, the the kind of confidence they displayed and everything, I, I don't know. I wouldn't be shocked if they come out and explode tonight. We'll see. Um, but yeah, so 1-0 in the World Series. There's my experiences with the uh, the NL, or the ALCS and the and the in the World Series. So I've uh, I've I've been to games now in the division series, championship series, and world series this year on this run. It's been a magical run. Uh, you know, they if they can keep their confidence up and don't don't get too cocky or anything. Uh, I'd love to see them bring it home, man. And, and you know they're my secondary team. The Yankees are my are my my main team, but of course I root for the Rangers and and and, and always have. I've been going to games for twenty years. Uh, I've been to hundreds of Ranger games. I've been fortunate enough to do so, and um, you know I really I really hope they pull it off. I do, and especially for for my mother and my brother. You know they're they're diehards as far as you know because I'm a diehard Yankee fan. They are diehard Ranger fans, and they have been through the the brutalness of of the the last seven eight years of just being terrible. And they you know watched them lose two World Series and especially the heartbreaking 2011 one and everything. And I just really, um, I'm 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 cheering, you know I'm cheering really hard because I want I want them to see them win, uh, really bad for how loyal and how diehard they've been. So, um, you know, that's what it means to me to see them win. So I'm, you know, rooting for the Rangers. Let's go Rangers. All right, let's move on to NFL coverage here. We've got uh, week six and seven to discuss here a little bit as well as preview week eight so let's uh let's pull that up here right here so we've got week six's results right in front of me here and let me see let me see let me see uh yes i've got my picks from that week so we're gonna go down the list here we had broncos at chiefs i had the chiefs taking that one and take it, they did. Let's see. Check mark on that. Okay, take it, they did. Chiefs 19, Broncos 8 at home in Arrowhead. Chiefs moved to 6-1, and one. Broncos down to 2-5 and five at that point. Uh, Ravens-Titans game, I had the Ravens taking that one. And take it, they did. Commanders uh, and Falcons. Commanders at Falcons. Sorry, I'm, I'll, I'll always read these at the away team, then the home team, obviously. Commanders at Falcons. Uh, I had the Commanders taking that one, and they did take it. Uh, Vikings at Bears. I had the Bears, or the, sorry, the Vikings taking it, which they did. Uh, 1913. Seahawks at Bengals, 1317. I had the Bengals taking that, and uh, they did indeed win, 1713. 49ers at Browns. I had the 49ers taking that and staying undefeated. They did not. They lost 19 to 17. After the kicker, Moody, doinked. I didn't even doink it, really. He missed. Missed the field goal that would have won them the game. 
uh, with less than 10 seconds left. They drove downfield. They had it. They had an opportunity. He missed it. It wasn't even like it was 60 yards. I think it was like 46 yards or something. He missed it. Flat missed it. 49ers lose. So I was uh, wrong about that one. Let's see. Um, I got to find the little... <laughs> Sorry. There we go. Got the little X symbol. I was wrong. Uh, Saints at Texans. I had the Saints taking that one. I was wrong about that one, too. The uh, the Texans took that 20-13. to 13. Uh, Colts at Jaguars. I had the Jaguars taking that, which they did. Uh, 37-20 really blew them out. Panthers at Dolphins had the Dolphins taking that one. That was the easiest pick of the week. That was 42-21, not even close. Uh, Patriots at Raiders. I had the Raiders taking that, and they did take it 21-17. Lions, Buccaneers. I actually said the Buccaneers would take that at home. They lost 20-6. to Cardinals, Rams. I took the Rams there. The Rams took it home 26-9. to Eagles at Jets. This was the one I wanted to take my victory lap on. Obviously, it is recorded in the previous episode and written here in my notes. I said, you know what? I'm going to take the Jets. I said, just trust me. I have a feeling the Jets are taking it against the Eagles, and the Jets took it. 20 to 14 at home. They beat the Eagles, uh, made them lose their undefeated season. Uh, and uh, I called that one, man. I was on top of it. Giants at Bills. I took the Bills. The Bills won 14 to 9. The Giants had an opportunity at the end, several opportunities uh, to win the game. They got a pass interference call with no time left to put them at the one yard line that was a pass interference. Then they had a second opportunity, uh, or it put them at the one-yard line, so that gave them their second chance with no time on the clock. He fired it to the end zone. Incomplete, but it also was a pass interference that was not called. Darren Waller got completely and totally mugged on that, and uh, it should have been another penalty, and the Giants should have had another crack at it. Uh, so the Bills survived playing like pretty much garbage uh, against the Giants uh, because of some shoddy officiating at the end. Wow. It's almost like that's a common theme in the NFL, and it's extremely frustrating, but hey, here we are. I took the Chargers over the Cowboys. The Chargers played like crap. Brandon Staley is a fool. Uh, they lost 20-17. to 17. They had uh, they had their opportunities, too, to beat Dallas, uh, but uh, could not get it done. And uh, really unfortunate because, of course, everybody hates the Cowboys. Uh, so all in all, in week six, there were, let's see, one, two, three, four. 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, uh, 15 games. I got 12 of them right. 12 out of 15 on the calls. Hey, listen, you know, if you're betting money lines, right, that's pretty good. If you, if you were betting just straight money line, you put $5 down on every game, you'd have come out with a profit. Uh, you would have really profited on the Jets because I'm sure the Eagles were were pretty heavy favorites there. Um. Yeah, so then we move on to week six. Sorry, from week six to week seven. And uh, I've got my week seven ones up here. Even though we did not record, I had written them down because I was trying to streamline the recording process. The potential recording process, I should say, uh, because I was I was so busy last week. But uh, So I had Jaguars over Saints. 
So it was right about that. I had Ravens. It was 31-24. I had Ravens over Lions. The Lions at the Ravens. That was a 38-6 drubbing by the Ravens. Uh, Raiders at Bears. I actually took the Bears there. My explanation was going to be that Jimmy G was out. Uh, and I know that Justin Fields was out, but I kind of thought maybe that wouldn't hurt them. thought the Bears were maybe a, a more equipped for a, for a game like that, and they were. Uh, so the Bears won over the Raiders, was right about that. Browns at Colts. I took the Colts in that game, actually. Weirdly enough, I thought at home and, and everything, they might have a, a better shot against the Browns. Browns with no no Watson. Um, no, actually, Watson must have come out late in that game. I got that. I'm getting that confused. But either way, I took the Colts in that one. The Browns actually won that uh, 39-38. Uh, I took the Bills over the Patriots. The Bills lost uh, 29-25. The Patriots actually won against the Bills. The Bills just playing way below what their ceiling and station could be. I took Washington over the Giants, and the Giants actually won a game, uh, 14-7. to So I was wrong about that, but I guess I'm happy to be wrong. Falcons, uh, Buccaneers, I took the Falcons in that one. Um, I, I, I just had a feeling that, that, uh, Atlanta would, would beat the Buccaneers. Buccaneers have looked very flat the last several weeks. I've kind of lost my faith in them a little bit. Uh, Steelers at Rams. I took the Rams was wrong there. The, uh, the Steelers actually came out on top 24, 17 there. Uh, Cardinals Seahawks. I took the Seahawks. They came out, out on top 20 to 10 Packers at Broncos. I actually took the Broncos, believe it or not there. Uh, they won 19 to 17. I don't know, I just thought Broncos at home against a struggling Packers team that really isn't that good or anything. I thought the Broncos would be able to to get it done. Chiefs Chargers took the Chiefs there because I'm pretty much going to take the Chiefs every single week because they're they're so good. Uh Eagles Dolphins, I uh, took the Eagles on that one. Uh I just think the Eagles were were are a more gritty um uh difficult team to deal with the Dolphins offense wasn't going to explode and was right about that 31 17 uh Eagles over Dolphins and then uh 49ers Vikings on Monday Night Football I took the 49ers and I was wrong about that the the Vikings won 22 17 believe it or not uh so all in all there out of all the games we had uh let's give it a quick look here five games 10 games 13 games got five of those wrong uh, eight of them right, so eight out of thirteen. Not not so hot this week. Not so hot this week. Uh, for me, this past week, uh, for me, week eight. We're moving on to week eight, though. Uh, to discuss all that, let's see. Um, we had Buccaneers at Bills. So for giving these predictions, you'll just have to take my word for it here. That my prediction most definitely would have been bills at home over the Buccaneers. Like I, I was going to take the, the bills. Uh, so you just have to take my word for that uh, or word on that, that, that I was going to, that would have been my pick if I'd filled out my picks yet, which I hadn't because I was hoping to do the show on Thursday, but just couldn't get to it. Uh, I was hoping to do them live, put it that way. Uh, so I would have taken the bills definitely over the Buccaneers. No question. They did win 28, eight or 24, 18, um, okay. For Sunday though, we've got Texans at Panthers. I'm taking the Texans because the Panthers are 0 and 6 and awful. And, uh, I'm just going to take the Texans there. Rams at Cowboys. Rams at Cowboys. 
I'm going to take the Cowboys here. I hope that I'm wrong, but, uh, you know, Dak Prescott with some foot massages and uh, everybody patting him on the ass and it being 72 degrees and uh, loving him and telling him he's so great at home against the three and four Rams squad. I'm going to take Dallas in that one. I think they'll beat them. I think it might be a little closer than people think. I'm going to say Dallas by like 10. Let's say 31-21 Dallas. Um, Vikings at Packers. Vikings at Packers. Um, Taking the Vikings there, to be honest. Packers are just such a mess. And even though the Vikings don't have Justin Jefferson, I'm going to take the Vikings. Um, Let's see. Saints, Colts. Taking the Colts there. It's uh, in the Colts building. They put up 38 last week. I think that they can uh, they can do well against the Saints. We'll see. Patriots at Dolphins. Dolphins taking that one. Uh, although I do think it won't be. I don't think it'll be a blowout. I don't think they'll put massive points up uh, on them. I'm thinking thinking 28-14, something like that. I mean, 28 points is good points, right? But I just, I mean, I don't think they're going to score 60, 70 points against them or anything. Um, Jets at Giants. Uh, obviously they both play in the same stadium. There's not really a home field advantage thing going on there. If you ask me, um, you know, I think the jets are going to take it over the giants here. I think the jets take it. Well, got me thinking here now. Yeah, Jets. Jets take it. Uh, Jaguars over Steelers, or Jaguars versus Steelers uh, in Pittsburgh. I'm going to take Pittsburgh there, taking the Steelers. Falcons over Titans, or Falcons versus Titans in Tennessee. I'm going to take the Falcons there, actually. The Titans are kind of blowing everything up. The guys all know they're getting traded. Uh, I, I'm going to take the Falcons over the Titans. Uh, let's see where Derrick Henry ends up, huh? Eagles, Commanders uh, in Washington. And I don't know. The Commanders seem to always give the Eagles fits. Uh, but it is the Eagles here. Washington is at home. Does that really matter so much? The Eagles just going to go in there and beat them. I'm going to take the Eagles, but you know what? Let's let's just remember my hesitancy to do so, right? That that could be a game. We'll see. Uh, Browns at Seahawks. I believe Watson's not playing again. I don't really know if that hurts or helps the Browns. But it's in Seattle. I'm going to take the Seahawks there, maybe. Now, you know what? I'm taking the Browns, actually. I'm doing it. I'm being bold. I'm taking the Browns in Seattle at uh, 4.05 Eastern on Fox. Uh, Ravens at Cardinals, taking the Ravens there. Uh, Ravens are funny. They are 1-6, the Cardinals are. And their one win is against Dallas. Love that. Uh, Ravens at Cardinals, taking the Ravens, though. Um... Chiefs at Broncos taking the Chiefs, uh, although that game uh, is apparently on snow watch. There's apparently going to be big snowstorms in Denver, and uh, that could be a real fun one to watch from the warmth and coziness of our own homes. Bengals at 49ers. Uh, 
I'm going to say the Bengals are bouncing back here. Or sorry, the 49ers are bouncing back against the Bengals uh, at home. Uh, they're going to win that one. Bears at Chargers. <laughs> That's Sunday night football. Lull. Uh, I am going to take the Chargers, as sort of pathetic as Brandon Staley is, and everything. The, I, I'm just I'm taking the Chargers there. Uh, Raiders at Lions, Monday Night Football, taking the Lions. That is uh, that's what we're going to do there. Yeah. So there you have it. Those are my picks. Those are our recaps for six and seven. Those are my picks for um, this week and everything. I don't really have, think I have much notable to discuss at the moment. The you know NFL trade deadline is coming, I believe, and. You know, Henry's on the move. There's going to be other players, I'm sure, for some teams that are going to try to ship off some pieces they can get some assets for. Um, you know, we'll I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about as that sort of heats up as well. But uh, you know, we got there's there's some good games on the on the schedule tomorrow. Uh, good games on the schedule tomorrow, and uh, we'll just have to see how all that plays out. So uh, you know, let me know what you guys' picks were. Let me know what. Um, you know what you agree with me on, disagree with me on, maybe on on uh, this segment of the show, and I think we're gonna go ahead and move on though to um, discuss actually a little bit of basketball and hockey. Uh, so the hockey season, like I said, has been going on for a couple of weeks now, actually NHL season, and uh, the NBA uh, season just started here. So uh, over on the NBA side of things, there's only five teams with two wins in the NBA. So there's the, there's only five teams that have played two games or well, I guess 10 teams that have played two games. Uh, Celtics two and O magic two and O over there in the Eastern conference. Pacers one and O bucks one and O bulls one and one heat one and one Pistons one and one Hornets Raptors, Cleveland Knicks all one and one Sixers wizards. zero and one nets Hawks. zero and two to start their years. Um, over in the Western Conference, the Nuggets, Mavericks, and Thunder starting their season 2-0. Pelicans 1-0. The Lakers, Suns, Warriors, Kings, Jazz, Clippers, and Spurs all 1-1. Timberwolves 0-1. Blazers, Rockets, Grizzlies 0-2. Now, uh, of course, the probably the biggest offseason news because it really wasn't that exciting of a hot stove or anything going on for the NBA offseason at all. Uh, was Lillard to the Bucks. Other than that, nothing happened uh, that's of note um, for uh, for any trades or free agent signings, really. I mean, Chris Paul's on the Warriors, but, you know, that's like, you know, a 1996 uh, Toyota Camry, uh, maybe reaching 350,000 miles at the end of its life, right? You know, good, solid, great car for its existence, but um, she's reaching the end, boy, I tell you what. Uh, now... The uh, the uh, the Warriors, uh, of course, retaining their their players the way that they would have liked to, and everything, and uh, you know the Nuggets looking strong again after winning the championship last year. Dallas Mavericks two and zero. Luca with a step back hook shot three pointer for the go ahead last night against Brooklyn uh, in the waning seconds of the game. Awesome play that was there. Um, uh, yeah, Victor Wimbanyana, right? Uh, that's the that's uh. That's the big story. Sorry, Wimbenyama. Um, my apologies. That's the big story um, out of the draft, of course. Uh, you know, he is, boy, what a straight out of NBA 2K that guy is, right? Uh, seven foot four, 209 pounds, real skinny, 19 years old, uh, from France, French player. 
and um, he uh, he's had a good start so far in the NBA. You know, th- this guy there has not been a more hyped up basketball proce- uh, prospect since LeBron. Uh, I don't think that's an outlandish statement or anything at all. I think that's just straight up truth. There's not been a a more hyped up prospect uh, that we've seen since LeBron James. I mean, the physical tools are all there. Uh, Like the the physical, the height and length and everything, all the measurements, the guy is ridiculous. It's just a matter of whether he can stay healthy and translate uh, that game well over to the NBA. Uh, But in his first two games, he played uh, 31 minutes against the Rockets last night. He had 21 points, 7 for 19 from the field, 0 for 6 from 3. He didn't hit from deep, but he had 12 rebounds, an assist, 2 steals, and 3 blocks. I mean, that's a great stat line no matter how you look at it. The number one pick in the draft this year. Um, Against the Mavericks a couple of days ago, though, in the home opener, or the season opener, uh, I should say, he was uh, played 23 minutes, 15 points, 3 for 5 from deep, 6 for 9 overall, 5 boards, 2 assists, a block, 2 steals, I mean, hey, 23 minutes of work in the office, that's pretty good. Uh, so he has looked very solid early on. Uh, we'll see. You know, I'm, he is he's must-see TV for sure in uh, in the NBA. Uh, I have not watched much NBA, to be honest, uh, over the last, really since Kevin Durant decided to be a snake. I have many nice, not nice adjectives to describe uh, that move. But basically, since he decided to be a snake and go over to Golden State and kind of ruin the NBA, kind of in combination with the NBA product being really bad uh, since then, too. Just, just you know, I, I don't want to see 73 pointers a night. I just don't. Uh, I, I just don't like the, the no defense, pace and space uh, mentality of the NBA. And it just it makes it really hard to watch. And I'm just not a fan of it. But I will say that him playing is going to get me to watch Spurs games. It it will. It'll get me to watch at least at least once a week. Uh, you know, maybe not as the primary focus. I'm not going to sit down in front of the TV with a bowl of popcorn and squeezing my, you know, my hands together going, hey, I have to watch, you know, every single minute or anything like that. But I'll throw it up next to me while I'm working on stuff or whatever at the computer or hanging out. Uh, I'm I'm most certainly interested in watching him play. That's for sure. And of course, I do about the same for the Mavericks. You know, I I, I uh, and Luka Doncic and the Mavericks and everything. I want them to succeed, and uh, I definitely watch them more than anybody else. I I'll throw the Mavericks on at least a couple of times a week while I'm doing stuff. So I you know I follow along with what they're doing. I just don't watch the NBA as a whole quite as religiously as I used to. I used to. I mean, I was sitting down there when I back in high school, and even even after and everything, I was I was up there every night going, "Who's playing? Who's on TV?" All right, and I'm sitting back and I'm watching, right? Like every every night, uh, I was I was in tune with what they were doing every night, and uh, it's just not like that anymore. It's like I I really don't care about watching the the Suns and the Jazz. I I really could give a, a damn less. Uh, but you know, Mavericks are on. I watch the Mavericks. Uh, pretty regularly, and uh, and uh, I'll be tuning in to watch the Spurs too. Uh, more, uh, basically, me watching a team that's not my team more often, uh, for sure. Now with San Antonio, um, 
Yeah, so I mean, that's all the hype. I recommend that you know you check it out if you're not much of a basketball fan. You know, tune in and watch that guy. I mean, freak of nature. Seriously, just just you know, obviously in a good way. Uh, no offense, Victor, but uh, he's he's uh, definitely an exciting prospect and and one to watch. So uh, be be keeping an eye out for those highlights. He's already made some some plays. I'll tell you that. Um, over onto the uh, the NHL side of things here, real quick though, is because you know NBA season just started. We don't have much more to talk about than that. Um, over on the NHL side of things, um, they've been going for a minute now. We've got uh, we've got some teams with seven or eight games under their belt here. Uh, over in the Eastern Conference, we'll give it a little rundown here. Boston six and zero, picking up right where they left off last year, setting the the mark for the best regular season in NHL history. Then, of course, losing to the eight seed Florida Panthers in the first round of the NHL playoffs last year. Uh, you know, really wild season for them. Uh, but they picked up where they left off, six and zero. Man, they're they're looking good again, and they they've played four games on the road and and uh, have won have won all of them. And uh, Detroit, Detroit uh, is at five and two, so there's nobody else in the Eastern Conference with less than less than two losses besides Boston. They're they're really picking up where they left off. Five and two, New York Rangers though. Hey, bounce back a little bit. You know, last year expectations were a little bit higher, I think, for New York. And uh, I I secondarily root. I root primarily. It's kind of like baseball. I root, you know, for the Yankees in the in um in baseball, and I secondarily root for the Rangers in the NHL. I root for the Stars. I secondarily root for the Rangers, right? So that's my that's sort of my one-two right there. And uh, I secondarily root for the Canucks too. They uh, uh, Canucks are my one of my other secondaries there. Those are my, my three teams in hockey, basically, um, that I wish for success for. Anyway, uh, Detroit five and two, New York five and two, Toronto five and two. Maple Leafs, they had a good year last year for once, and uh, they're they're looking to continue that this year. Tampa Bay four and two, Carolina five and four, but six in the standings. The way the points shake out and all that stuff. Uh, Flyers four and two, Devils, Canadians four and two, Blue Jackets, Islanders three and two, Capitals, Panthers three and three, Senators, Penguins, Sabers. Uh, we got three and four and three and five for the Sabers. Over in the Western Conference. The Western Conference representative in the Stanley Cup, the Vegas Golden Knights, well, they're picking right up where they left off last year, 7-0 and to start the year. So they are undefeated over in the Western Conference side of things. Colorado at 6-1, and uh, having another great year. They, they, you know, they made a good run into the playoffs last year, too, and uh, having another good year to start it off here. And, hey, Vancouver, you know, Vancouver, 5-2. and two. It has not been good. In in recent times for Vancouver, especially Sedin twins retiring years back and and all that, they've been kind of rebuilding and and retooling and everything like that. But uh, hey, five and two for Vancouver to start off the year this year. Uh, the Stars, my Stars, four and one so far. Um, and uh, you know, looking to looking to to capitalize, improve on that you know trip to the Western Conference Finals last year. Uh. Kings, Kings at uh, at four and two, uh, four and two outright. Of course, I'm I'm giving these records outright, not including the overtime games. Um, let's see the yeah the Kings at four and two, Jets at four and three, 
Wild at three and three, Blues at three and three, Predators three and four, Coyotes three and four, Ducks three and four. A lot of three and fours in there. Three and five for the Blackhawks, Kraken at two and four. Uh, you know, them being, uh, you know, having a good season last year, but uh, it's not starting off so good this year. Calgary Flames two and five, Edmonton Oilers one and five. That's a rough start for Edmonton and San Jose with the O and seven start. I mean, that is, uh, geez, right? Uh, you know, that's, uh, that, that's rough. Um, let's see. I should say, I should clarify, uh, because, um, I should, I should clarify for, for people. I'm sorry that, that I didn't really think of this. I should clarify for people that aren't hockey people about reading a hockey standing sheet or whatever. That is the, I was giving the outright records. So Boston is 6-0 and in outright games, like through three periods. They have lost an overtime game. Okay, and the Red Wings are 5-2 and outright, for example, but they've lost a game in overtime too. So you get, you get what I'm saying there. They, the wins will count in the win column, but the losses count in the overtime column. Uh, so the Knights are 7-0 and in outright, outright, but they have lost an overtime game too. I don't know if that makes. Uh, I hope that makes sense for. Um, uh, I hope that makes sense for uh, for those that are not into hockey. As I was reading that down, I made mention of it when I started going over the Western Conference stuff. But yeah, so their their records. Um, those are the losses in the loss column are outright losses. Um, let's see. The yeah, um, you know, hockey is always fun. I mean, I hockey, I I consider hockey to be such an underrated sport. I always, I mean, every year I say this to to people that um, you know, maybe aren't as familiar with hockey, but man, you got to get into some hockey. I mean, really, it's a it's a it's a fun, such a fun sport. It's really underrated. Um, I, honestly, the like the NHL and hockey is a is better than the NBA. Now, if somebody wants to argue like the games on their face going like, well, no, basketball as a game is better than hockey. Well, you can argue all that all you want, personal preference and stuff. As a product that is put out by the league, the NHL is 50 times better than the NBA in its in its purest form of the game. Um, but uh, hockey is such an underrated sport and deserves so much more attention than it, than it gets in the United States. It's, obviously, these teams have great followings and uh, you know, pack their stadiums and everything. You know, it, it's an awesome thing to go to a Dallas Stars game um, and see how passionate people are um, and how in tune and understanding with the game. And this is not just like when the Stars are good or anything like that. Like, you can go to a Stars game when they're not that good and the stadium is still three quarters full and full of people that are cheering them on. And that's in Dallas. I mean, this is a football town. This is Texas. This is a football freaking state, right? And of course, and you know, Dallas, we're a major metropolitan area, and we've we've got a football team and a basketball team and a, a baseball team and an MLS team. You know, like th- this is we got everything. We got an NASCAR track. We got you know, we got everything. And there are a lot of Dallas Stars fans. There really are. And so I'm saying that as a whole, I, I could be generalizing and speaking for other fan bases, 
But obviously, hockey absolutely has its following and has its fans in the United States. It's just, unfortunately, it does rank fourth in popularity behind, uh, you know, the NFL, NBA, MLB. It just comes in fourth. But man, you got a hockey team nearby you? Go to a game, man. Get some nosebleeds if you have to against a against a bad team or something. Find some nice tickets. I, I can get, you know, you can get tickets to the to uh, at least historically to the stars here. You know, as long as they're, uh, it obviously depends on the matchup too, right? But it's like, you know, if I go see the stars and somebody's stinky, you know, I can go to the game. I can get in the door for fifteen bucks. You know, uh, go to the game. You know, go to a hockey game. Go check it out. See if you can get into it. It's like what, what when the Minnesota North Stars moved down here in the early '90s, uh, they marketed to people in Texas as football on ice, and it really kind of is. It's like football plus football, you know, football plus soccer on ice. And uh, I played hockey for a while um, years back, and and I love I I love hockey. I think it's an awesome sport, and you definitely got to give it uh, more of a chance if you've never really been into it. Uh, you know, give it a shot. You know, find your local team or pick somebody to root for and, and, um, you know, throw some games on it's, it's good fun. And it's, it's a, it's a great, just such a fun sport and an awesome sport. And, uh, you know, it'll, it'll leave you in awe with the, with the talent and skills that a lot of these, you know, that these guys have and, and, uh, really exciting. And I'll say this again, there is nothing like playoff hockey. You know, when we get back around to the playoffs next spring, Oh my goodness! I said it on this podcast earlier in the in the in our run here in the spring, but playoff hockey—you gotta watch playoff hockey. There's nothing like it, nothing. Uh, I any no other sport compares for the intensity and the environment that the playoffs in hockey bring. It's incredible. Um, so highly recommend definitely uh, checking out the playoffs when they come around. But you know, follow somebody through the season. Throw some games on. Hockey's a beautiful sport. All right. Um, let's get into our last segment of the day, which will be the NASCAR playoffs and NASCAR. So um, there's been two races run since we last had an episode, uh, the South Point 400 at Las Vegas and the Forever 400, dedicated to Kevin Harvick for retiring, presented by Mobile One at Homestead, Miami. Um I really didn't get a chance to watch much of Miami uh, last Sunday. I was out uh, most of the day and didn't really get a chance to watch that. But uh, I did, you know, did catch up on the highlights and storylines and things that happened uh, during the race. And uh, Christopher Bell was the winner at Homestead Miami the week before that at Las Vegas. It was Kyle Larson. So both Larson and Bell locked in to the championship four uh, that will be racing for the title at Phoenix on Sunday, November 5th at 3 p.m. Eastern. So be sure to tune into that as if you're a NASCAR fan, or if you want to watch the championship race, it basically comes down to four drivers that all have an equal shot to win the championship at home. Uh, Phoenix, it is whoever I almost said Homestead because it was at Homestead for so many years, but uh, at Phoenix, it comes down to whoever finishes ahead of who in the race. And it's usually the race winner. Uh, but we have the race at Martinsville this Sunday, October 29th, 2 PM Eastern. That is tomorrow. Um, the race is on NBC, MRN, and Sirius XM. The Martinsville, the short track package, has not been good, as is well documented. We've talked a lot about it. Um, 
to be honest, uh, the Xfinity race is going on right now. I just realized I'm on the NASCAR website. Sammy Smith leading the Xfinity race. Matt Snyder and Josh Berry, one, two, three. Um, the Martinsville, the short track package has just been really, really rough uh, with this next-gen car. They've been making changes and trying to make it better, et cetera, et cetera. Martinsville, I don't know. I just don't expect this to be a really exciting race from a perspective of... of um, of individual battles and things. I think that there could definitely be some more excitement though, in the way that some of these playoff guys are going to race around each other. Uh, for those that are trying to get into the championship for, of course, this is the one year anniversary of the hail melon. If you haven't seen that somehow by what Ross Chastain did last year to get into the championship four to get the points he needed, uh, you know, throwing her into fifth gear, slamming the pedal to the metal and riding the wall through turn three and four to the start finish line, uh, then you're doing yourself a disservice because you definitely need to, uh, you need to go check that clip out. If you haven't seen it, just look up Ross Chastain, hail melon, and you will find plenty of videos about that. Uh, unbelievable move. I've never seen anything like it and we will never see it again because they have outlawed that move. Um, but it was incredible. Nonetheless, uh, Martinsville though, uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see on the quality of the race. Uh, I heard Homestead was was solid. Uh, Las Vegas was pretty good. Las Vegas was pretty good. Good racing. Uh, you know, battling back and forth, changes of position. Uh, Larson had a pretty big lead coming down to it there. And Christopher Bell, who, of course, won at Miami and everything the next week, though, Christopher Bell, if he had one more lap, he was going to get him. He was going to pass Larson. He took the high line out of three and four and closed that gap and really had a rocket of a run, but he just had nowhere to go, could not get by him. He was at his bumper, at his at his quarter panel crossing the line. It was a heck of a finish. Um, but Larson had brought the, the Vegas race home and Bell the Miami race home, so they're going to be in the championship four. Uh, going into or going with the, the standings, though, okay, we've got the playoff standings, and here is how they sit. Uh, heading into the final round uh, or the final race of the final round. Because, uh, I mean, the championship race is obviously the technical final round, but this is the final time that we have eliminations uh, leading into that. Christopher Bell uh, and Kyle Larson, like said, locked in. They are one and two in uh, in this playoffs. Larson did not have a good day at Miami, slammed into the sand barrels at the entrance of Pit Road, trying to get onto Pit Road for a, a pit stop. And uh, his race was finished. William Byron is 30 points to the good for uh, the cut line. And Ryan Blaney is 10 points to the good. So really, William Byron just needs to take care of the car and not get out of the race. If William Byron takes care of the car, he should be in a good spot. However, Blaney, Reddick, Truex, Hamlin, Busher, all of those guys can win the race, and of course Byron too, and lock themselves into a spot in which Byron, if Byron didn't win that, didn't win the race or anything, would find himself, you know, at the cutoff line, but he's in a very good position as far as the cutoff line is concerned. He's 30 points to the good. Ryan Blaney is 10 points to the good. Blaney is kind of more the one that's going to need to worry uh, about that because let's say that Byron or Blaney do not win the race, but um, Martin Truex Jr. does. 
Well, Truex Jr. gets a guaranteed spot, and it's it's going to be about how Byron and Blaney are in in relative finishing order to themselves. One point on the race, or one spot on the racetrack is one point, and of course, any sort of stage points they might get at the end of stage one and two for finishing inside the top ten. Uh, so Byron's in a good, solid spot. He's in a solid spot. He just needs to make sure he brings the car home across the start-finish line in one piece tomorrow, and he should take that that fourth spot at least at the worst uh to get into the playoffs however we've got reddick truex hamlin busher blaney those are the other drivers and martin truex jr um has had i'm actually to be honest i'm not sure if truex has ever won at martinsville but i know he's run very well there before he's had his shot to win many times and denny hamlin has run very well at martinsville in the past he has he's a multi-time martinsville winner i believe um and is uh, good at Martinsville. Let's put it that way. Chris Buescher needs, he has to win. He's 43 points below the cutoff. There's pretty much no point pathing for him to get in. I mean, unless he wins two stages and then other guys wreck and all that, right? He's pretty much got to win, which is very possible. I mean, we'll see. Um, You know, we'll see. RFK has been solid this year, and if they can bring it, they can really bring it one more time this week. At the track, you never know uh, because, you know, you win and you're in. So, um, yeah, Reddick, Truex, Hamlin, Busher, they're all below the cut line right now. But uh, And, of course, somebody that, that's, you know, Larson or Bell could win and that, you know, that they're already locked in or even somebody else that's outside of the playoffs could win. And that would, uh, you know, that would, you know, keep those two of those spots open. Obviously, I guess I was just making a bold assumption that it would be an, it would be a playoff driver. Um, that hasn't won yet to win this race, but we'll see. You know Hamlin is going to be hyper-aggressive because he they're almost in a must-win situation. Uh, Truex, Reddick, I mean, it's they're all kind of in that same boat where they could point their way in, but it's going to be tough. It's an uphill battle, and, um, um, you know, they're going to be looking to win for sure. So uh, it should be very compelling and interesting from that standpoint. We just have to hope that the racing is solid. Uh, because Martinsville had, had had some really good racing over the last 10 years. I mean, always. Martinsville's pretty much always had great racing. But uh, the short track package with the new car this year and last year has been really rough for Martinsville. So hopefully hopefully the package this week is maybe there were some tweaks or improvements um, that we can hope for. But, uh, yeah, we'll we'll see how that shakes out. That's going on tomorrow. That should be a good one. Uh you know, to see, to see who ends up uh, in the championship. I I've still got my, my thoughts are Larson is going to win this championship. That's, that's kind of where my head is at. Like Larson's going to win this championship. Uh, he's just so difficult to bet against kind of like the chiefs. It's so difficult to bet against. And he's been running, uh, better. We'll say he had, he, he stumbled a bit in the early part of the playoffs, but you know, it's just so hard to bet against him. Uh, although his Hendrick Motorsports teammate William Byron uh, also very uh, looking very good, so uh, we'll uh, we'll just have to see how that that ends up shaking out there in the uh, in the round of eight. You know, you guys let me know who you think is going to win the championship and who you got picking to win tomorrow's race at Martinsville, uh, and uh, you know your thoughts on the season so far, or any other NASCAR related thoughts, or NBA, NHL, NFL, MLB related thoughts. Because um, we're going to go ahead and wrap the show here after an hour and a half. And uh, I want to thank everybody who's made it to this part of the episode or at the end of this podcast episode. 
Uh, this was episode nine of the Victory Cigar Podcast. You can find um, this uh, inf- any information related to the podcast over on Twitter. Well, formerly Twitter X at Victory Cigar Pod at Victory Cigar Pod. Thank you all for listening, and uh, I will see you next week. <laughs>